0: Hey, how you doing? My name's Greg Knapp. Today on the podcast, how to love the job you have right now and how to choose to be a millionaire. I'll interview author Tony Bradshaw. Are you ready? Let's go. You know how you sometimes feel stuck, like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? You know you were created for something more, that an average life just isn't enough for you. Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. You know, trying to find your passion and purpose can take some time, and trying to find a career that you're passionate about can take some time. And while you're doing that, it's really not much fun if you're going to a job you hate every day. So one of the things that I love to talk to people about is to love the job you have right now. And you say, Greg, I can't do that. I don't like my job. In fact, no, I hate my job. In fact, I get the Sunday evening blues. Do you ever get those? My wife and I talked about that way back in the day when we had jobs we didn't like. So we'd have this great time all weekend and about Sunday, right about dinner time we started getting the Sunday night blues because we had to look ahead to what we were going to do the next day. And we were planning out all the work that we hated and where we were going and the people that we didn't like and all these things that were just dragging us down. And we said, man, we can't live like this. You can't sit around every Sunday night getting sad about Monday through Friday. And your favorite song is Everybody's Working for the Weekend. Remember that? Everybody's working for the weekend. Two shows nightly. And yeah, you can't live like that. If that's your biggest prayer, you're in trouble. Thank God it's Friday, cannot be your biggest prayer. So what do you do about it? I think there's a couple things. Number one, you learn to love your job right now. And number two, you love to learn the process. That's the wrong way to say it. You learn to love the process of getting into your passion and purpose life. You understand what I mean? I'm not explaining it well yet. Let me try it again. Let's say you're somebody who loves to act and you're trying to get roles and you're trying to break into the business. And it's tough, man. It's tough to meet people. It's tough to get the agent. It's tough to get to auditions. It's tough to get to any roles. Well, if you don't like any of that part of it, it's going to be tough for you, man, because most of acting until you're really big and famous is trying to get the role. So you've got to enjoy meeting these people in the business. You've got to enjoy doing these auditions. You've got to enjoy continuing to increase and improve your craft while you're not getting paid for it. You know, like going to acting classes or pulling public domain monologues off of the Internet and practicing at them and putting them up on YouTube, on your channel, so that people start to get to know who you are and and maybe getting together with a couple other people who are just starting out in the business and then creating your own play or movie or short series on the web or whatever it is. But you've got to enjoy that process of just being an actor and getting better and better at it and meeting other actors and just being creative and just finding new ways to do this stuff and interacting with fans and and creating your own buzz about you because you just love doing it. Because the process is most of your life. See, if you're just all excited about this passion and purpose of becoming the actor, the the huge star in the future that's going to make millions of dollars in the next huge blockbuster, that may never come. If it does come, it's probably not going to come for years. I mean, there are a few people, the top half 1% of 1% that stroll into Hollywood and just everything falls right into place and they're in the big blockbuster movie in about six months. Sure, that happens, but not very often. And it's not just for acting, it's any career you choose. If you're just looking for that final brass ring that you can grab on where you've got the best job and the best office with the best benefits, with the best salary and the best vacation and your big house and your great car and these great vacations, if that's all you're working for, number one, you might never get it. Number two, it might take years of drudgery that you didn't like in the process. And number three, when you finally grab that brass ring, you're going to say, Is this all there is? That would be really, really sad, wouldn't it? Has it already happened to you? Because it's happened to me a few times in my life where I thought this was it, man. This is it. And then you're like, really, is this it? And, you know, it's one of the big reasons that I follow Jesus because there's only one thing that can fill the God-sized hole in your heart, but that's me. But it does have to be something bigger than you. And you need to enjoy that process so that every day when you get up, you're excited about the process. You know, I'm excited about being an accountant. I'm excited about being a teacher. I'm excited about being whatever it is that you are because you love all the stuff that goes with it. Well, maybe not all the stuff. I mean, every job has stuff you don't like, right? But you understand what I'm getting to, right? Okay, Greg, but you said you were going to teach me how to love the job I was in right now while I'm working on that passion and purpose thing. You're right. Let's get to that. Because guess what? A lot of people are disengaged from their job. A lot of your employees, if you run a business, are disengaged from the job. In fact, Gallup says about 60 to 70 percent of employees are. What? Yes, 60 to 70 percent of employees are disengaged at their current job. And I think a big part of this is because the old ways of kind of controlling people with salary and benefits and threats of being fired. And that's what everybody thought it was to work is just to hate your work. And that's why they call it work. It doesn't work anymore. And it certainly doesn't get you the kind of team member you want. If you're running the business. I mean, who wants to work for carrots and fear of a stick, the carrot and stick thing doesn't work anymore. So what if there's something that you can do that leads you to more engagement, more creativity, more productivity, and yes, even more happiness and joy for you at work and for everyone in your organization. If you run it, Well, there's a lot of research out now that says, yeah, there's a way to do that. See, there's there's this new trend and I don't really think it's a new trend. They're just talking about it now. The desire for purpose in every part of your life. That's what I talk about and been talking about it for 20 years. Right. And it's soon going to be the most important driver of your engagement as an employee and your customers engagement with you and The business owner's engagement, purpose. See, research already shows that when people believe in the purpose of their company and their job, they are more engaged. They're more loyal. They're much more willing to give extra effort. But recently now, this idea of purpose, it's become paramount in a growing group of employees and consumers. So if it all starts with purpose, what's your company's reason for being? What does it stand for? What difference does your company want to make in the world, whether you own it or work for it? How does it change the lives of its customers, clients, team members? I mean, yeah, people work for money, but they want purpose and meaning too. I know you do. That's why you're listening. So if this is starting to sound kind of touchy-feely to you, I get it. But you know what? I kind of like touchy-feely. I think it really impacts most of it, most of us. And uh, research from Gallup, Deloitte, and others proving companies that have a strong sense of purpose, have more engaged employees and evangelical customers. I mean, they're out there spreading the good news about your company. That's pretty sweet. It's really good news for you as an employee, for your company, and for you if you're a business owner, your bottom line. But it does require commitment from the CEO on down to whatever job you consider to be the most entry level that purpose matters, that every job includes tasks, true, but every calling includes a passion of purpose. And you can find that passion of purpose in any task, in any job, if you look for it. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I went to um, grad school to get a master's in counseling psychology. And I learned a bunch of stuff there, but I would say maybe the most important thing I learned was from a legendary family therapist named Virginia Satir. She wrote that we need to look at every person we meet and just imagine that they have a sign hanging around their neck. And that sign says this, I just want to count. What? I just want to count. I just want to matter. See, every single human being on earth has that desire to matter, to be significant, to count to make a difference. No one wants to go to work and be a cog in a machine, right? Oh, uh, what'd you do today, Ralph? Well, I went on and I punched the clock to get in and then I did a bunch of crap I don't care about and then I punched the clock to get out. But I got paid. What'd you make? I don't know, some kind of a widget. No no one wants to do that. You want a life of purpose and meaning. And if you can find that in your job and life and you can help other people find it, man, now you're going. Now the sky's the limit, brother. So. I love what William James said about this. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. Now, when I started to see one of the purposes in my mental health counseling job is letting people know that they counted. Man, I knew I was making a difference in their lives. And that meant I counted. And then when I got into radio, when I was doing my daily radio show, I put signs up in the studio just to remind me of why I was doing the show, my purpose in the show. Talk to one person, make sure he knows he counts. Doesn't matter what my topic is, you count. And that's why I'm talking to you about it. Talk to him like he's my friend because he is. Entertain him, inform him, laugh with him, lift him up. Now, when I remembered that and I did that on the show, man, it all started to fall into place. And I felt like I was doing what I was put on the planet to do. I did better radio. I was more creative. I was more engaged, productive. And yo, man, did I have joy. And when I use that philosophy, when I coach people one on one when I use it in my podcasting, I find that it does motivate and inspire people. And I hope it's motivating, and inspiring you. That's why I do it. So if you own a company, what is your purpose for your business? How are you making a difference with it? How Is it significant in the lives of others? And if you don't own the business, you say, Greg, I just work here. Okay. You're a team member. What is your purpose for your job? Well, I I don't, what do you mean? I, I just work in the mailroom. Okay. First of all, there's no just a jobs. I'm just a mailroom person. I'm just a secretary. I'm just a truck driver. I'm just, there are no just the jobs. There are jobs and all of them are important. So what does your job do to serve the purpose of the company? I love the research that was done on some janitors in in a hospital, and they found that the janitors that were the most happy at their job didn't see their job as cleaning floors and toilets. They saw their job as keeping the patients healthy and safe by diminishing the germs in the hospital so they wouldn't get sicker. They were part of keeping the hospital a healthy place so people can be healed they saw their purpose as being important and significant. And they knew if they didn't clean well and somebody got an infection and died, that was on them. And they knew if they cleaned well and got rid of all the germs and people got healthier quicker, that was on them. They were part of the purpose. So how do you find a purpose in your your job right now, right now that lifts you up? Because there's something in your job In that company, in that mission statement, in what you do, no matter what it is that helps people, that makes a significant difference. So, how do you find it? How do you find it? If you look for it, you'll find it. And the same goes for every part of your life. What is your purpose? How do you serve that purpose? Are you doing things that don't serve that purpose? And in fact, Serve an opposite purpose. Well, that's going to give you trouble. You're probably going to want to start doing something about that. But when you find that purpose and you serve it, it always leads to serving others as well. And it always leads to more significance because now you're part of something bigger than yourself. And now, oh man, now you're feeling it, aren't you? I love what Steve Jobs' mission statement was for Apple in 1980. It was to make a contribution to the world by making tools for the mind that advance humankind now he didn't talk about computers or phones or tablets he talked about his purpose to make a contribution to the world by making tools for the mind that advance humankind whoa that's a purpose are you just working for money are you just working a job are you just completing a task excuse me or are you following a calling to be part of an important purpose bigger than yourself that's the question M.W. Elderman said this, never work just for money or for power. They won't save your soul or help you sleep at night. You know, my mom worked at Disney World in Orlando for 15 years. You know what the purpose of every single person's job at Disney is, according to the company? Ready? Spread happiness. Spread happiness. From the sweet uh, street sweeper to the ticket taker to the characters on the streets, talking to the kids, to the secretaries, to the CEO, to the managers, to every part of the company of Walt Disney World, they all have different tasks, but they have the same purpose, spread happiness. That's how you count. So here's a simple exercise for everyone in your company and for you. Imagine you're the customer. What are you hiring the company or the product or the service that you get from them what are you hiring it to do? If you were the customer, what would make a difference in your life that the company does for you? What would the company need to do to serve its purpose in your life? What would make you a loyal, evangelical, raving fan customer beyond price? I mean, we don't we don't want to get into a price war here. We, we don't want to race to the bottom on that. We want to over-serve the customer to the point that price is not their primary motivator. I mean, you have places that you go to like that, right? You could go somewhere cheaper, but you're like, no, 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 no. I go here because they do blank. That's what I'm talking about. What is the purpose of each person who works for you if you're in charge? And what is your purpose if you're a team member? Does your purpose for your business inspire and elevate and drive those who work with you? Does the purpose you found as a team member drive you? If not, you definitely need to work and look for another job. There's no doubt about that. But you can still find some purpose to work on where you are right now while you're beginning the process of finding that passion and purpose somewhere else. Hey, do you tell great purpose success stories that resonate with your customers and with other people who work with you? Do do you see something great happen at work and say, hey, I want to share this win with you that happened? That's how you spread joy and that's how you make a difference. If I worked for you, if I went to work for you tomorrow, would my daily experience align with how I'm told my work serves the purpose of the business? And if it doesn't, how can you make that so? Are you leading by living out your purpose story in your daily work? not just paying lip service to it, but saying, this is my purpose here and here's how I'm going to do it and I'm going to keep that on my mind as I'm working every day. I'm going to remind myself of it. I'm going to write notes at the end of the day of how what I did impacted the purpose that I'm excited about. That's how you keep it lit, man. That's how you keep it just fired up inside. I, I like to think about this when I go into work, no matter what job I've had, once I figured this out. Whose life am I going to make a difference in today? And once again, I'm a Christian, so I pray God put the right person in front of me that I can do what you want me to do and make a difference in this person's life. But you can do it however you want to do it. But whose life are you going to make a difference in today? How many moments of purpose will you experience today? And how might you miss some of these because you don't know what your purpose in this moment is? Wouldn't it be horrible if you missed a bunch of those moments because you just weren't focused on it? And you just weren't ready? There's only so many that come around. But if you look for them, you'll find they come all, more and more often, more and more often, more and more often. Let's go. Hey, I wanna make sure that you know I have a free gift for you at gregorybnap.com. Just go there and you'll get the five step ebook on how to find and pursue your passion and purpose. And I also wanna ask you to go ahead and Tell three friends to tell three friends about this podcast, and let's grow this thing to get more people living a passionate, purposeful life. Today, I'm bringing in Tony Bradshaw. He's the author of The Millionaire Choice, Millionaire or Not, You Can Choose, and he and his team inspire and teach and help people to become millionaires, and they want you to become a millionaire with a generous heart so you can enjoy life and help others. And you can find out more at TheMillionaireChoice.com. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh man, my pleasure. You know, before we get into how you help people become millionaires, I really love to hear people's stories because I think it helps us empathize. It helps inspire us. It helps us take action to change our lives. So can you just start off with just telling us the story of how and why you started this movement?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in East Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. For those of you that don't know about Tennessee, come visit us. And uh, low income family, not like not like in poverty, but low income. And uh, my parents really didn't manage their money well. And, you know, that's what I I didn't really know better as a child, because, you know, you just kind of live in the moment that you are, you know, that's how life is. So you just kind of go with it. And, um, you know, we, we went through some hardships, not as much hardships as some families do, but we had our own uh, share of hardships. You know, our water got cut off, our electricity would get cut off occasionally. Uh, my dad would go out with what's called the water key and turn the water back on after the water company turned it off uh, so my mom could take a shower, you know, until the bill got paid, and uh, that would get us in trouble sometimes. Um, I would wear old clothes, you know, the, while the other kids were in school were wearing the nice Nicer clothes, the the brand clothes, the odds, the Nike stuff like that. I was the guy wearing the Pro Wings from Payless shoes, and you know, not really fitting in. You know, on the basketball team, the only kid wearing the shoes that didn't match, and and uh, and the coach knew it, and the team knew it, and uh, but that's what we had, you know, that's what we had to grow up with, and you know, and then uh, you know, the one day when I we were at a pep rally, you know, the kid, the we're celebrating the football team, basketball team, and some girls, you know, gave me a little bit of attention. Uh, they said, Hey, Tony, do you expect it to rain today? (laughs) Mm. I didn't know what they were asking about. You know, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I realized my pants were probably about three or four inches too short than they should have been. And so they were calling me out. Yeah. And so, you know, just some things like that, you know, teenagers, it's not ideal for teenagers to deal with, but you know, you go through it. And so my parents sent me off to college, which was great. I went to school to be a mechanical engineer. I was pretty good at math. And so when I got out of college, I had my first job and I got my W-2, which, you know, our tax form to file our taxes. And I had made $39,000. And I opened that up and looked at it. And I'm like, man, that's like at least six times more money I'd ever se- I had ever seen in my life, you know, from the jobs I'd had. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that and said, wow, where did it all go? Because I had about 500 bucks in my in checking account. I had some nice electronics. I took an inventory of my life at that time and living at home with my parents paying $200 a month in rent, it was a great deal. So why, why skip out on it? And I had a bed that I made a desk that my dad had made a computer that I'd financed a nice television, Sony 27 inch and a car in the driveway that was financed. And so about $16,000 in debt. And it hit me at that moment that, you know, I had made 39 grand, but ended up $16,000 in debt. And that was not a winning formula. And so mm-hmm. I realized at that point, you know, 25 years old, I could never repeat that again in my life. Because if I repeated that, it would mean I would be losing, not winning. And so that's when I decided to start studying money and trying to understand money. One of my big things is, you know, we spend 12 years in you know, primary education, secondary education, learning about math, English and science. But no one ever takes time to teach us about money. And that's you know, the situation I found myself in. So I had to self-study because my parents weren't going to teach me. My grandparents weren't going to teach me. You know, my aunts and uncles didn't know. They were doing the same stuff. And so I studied, learned everything I could, popped my head up and said, you know, money's really just a math problem. I'm pretty good at math. And I think I can become a millionaire by the time I'm age 40. And so that was at 25 years old with the information I had, that's what I set out to do was become a millionaire by age 40. And I was able to hit that goal and make it. And so that was exciting for me. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the background, the foundation of – you know, why I have the book out there now, you know, and I'm almost, I'll be 50 in a couple of years and, and trying to help other people do the same thing. There's a lot of good people that are doing work in this space, financial education, but there's still a whole lot of people being left out. And so I want to make it a goal to try to reach the people that are being left out.
0: Yeah. I love a bunch of what you said first, when you're making 39 and you're in debt 16, something's going wrong. That's true. And, and you would think, you know, a lot of people are coming to that realization because you see on about, I don't know, maybe every six months, there's a new survey out that a majority of Americans are living literally paycheck to paycheck. They have no savings whatsoever. And these are families that, the people are working. They have a job, mm-hmm. and they're just spending more than they're taking in. That's what you're talking about with the math problem. You just, you know, that's just an easy math problem. But once you start living at a certain level, it gets hard for you to change that, right? I mean, I like the whole goldfish analogy. You know, you put a goldfish in a bigger bowl, he gets bigger. You put him in a bigger bowl, he keeps getting bigger, and that's what a lot of people seem to do. They get a raise, they spend more money. They get a raise, they spend more money. Instead yep. of getting that raise and staying at the same living expenses they are and putting it away. And wow, all of a sudden I'm, I'm saving money.
1: Yes, for sure. And I think that's a lot of people don't understand the, the like time value of money. And that's one of the things I try to talk about in my book. I had a guy that I had seen today at an event I went to and he had recently read my book. And he was talking about that where, you know, he's spending money on a daily basis, but he really wasn't counting the cost of what it meant to him in the future. Mm. And I gave and that's one of the things I try to focus on is to help people understand what the real cost of the money they're spending is. You know, we're using the rule of 72 where your money doubles about, you know, at 10 percent and, you know, interest on an investment. You're doubling your money about every seven years. So, you know, if you buy a thousand dollar television, you're really not buying a thousand dollar television. You're buying a you know thirty two or sixty four thousand dollar television out in the future, and that's the real money that you're spending. You're not spending a thousand dollars today; you're spending sixty four thousand dollars in the future. That's great. Uh, stuff. Rather than investing it, yeah.
0: Hey Tony, before we get any further, got about a minute and a half here. Um, can you define what you mean by becoming a millionaire? What does that mean exactly?
1: Yeah, so depending on where you who you talk to, people are gonna have different definitions of what a millionaire is. I'm really going to the the simplest format, which is I have a million dollars in net worth. And so, and that's what it means to me, is like, do I have a house that's paid off, not debt, not in debt, right? And so if I have a quarter million dollar house, that's a quarter million dollars of my net worth. Do I have uh, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of investment real estate? Do I have you know, a half a million dollars, you know, $500,000 in investments in the stock market, and then whatever cash you might have on hand. But all of these things that you have that you don't owe anything on. And so that's what, for me, that's what a net worth millionaire is. Um, some people define it a little bit differently. They'll say you need to have your net worth at that level, excluding the house that you live in. Like they don't count that. And I, I really don't care. I think it's semantics at that point. Um, Because if you can get to a million dollars in net worth, I know you're going to find success even on the other side of that. And so for me, it's getting people to focus on that very specific goal, Yeah. uh, which for me is the minimum bar. Like everybody should have that as their minimum bar. And I know on the journey to that minimum bar that their lives will change and their thinking will change and they'll expand themselves.
0: We're going to get into that in just a second. We're talking with Tony Bradshaw, author of The Millionaire Choice Millionaire or Not, You Can Choose. In just a second, we want to talk about what do you mean you can choose to be a millionaire? How do you do that? My name is Greg Knapp. You can get more at gregorybknapp.com, Gregory, boy, K-N-A-P-P.com, and get my free ebook there too Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. This is Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. All right, awesome. We're going to. Reset the clock here. And as soon as you're ready, we'll go for the next segment. You ready? Yes. Feeling good? Oh, yeah. I love it. All right. All right. Here we go. Coming down in three, two, one. Hey, how you doing? My name is Greg Knapp. You're in Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. Don't forget, you can email me with a question or a comment, I'll talk about it on the podcast, greg at gregorybeanapp.com, or you can call me, leave a voicemail, and I might put your voice right into the program, 904-373-6591, 904-373-6591, and I've got that in the show notes as well. Remember, this show is also a podcast. You can find it anywhere there are podcasts, and the show notes will have it for you on Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. I've got Tony Bradshaw with me. He's the author of The Millionaire Choice. Millionaire or not, you can choose. And we just defined millionaire. Million dollars of net worth. That means you take away all your debt and you still have a million dollars worth of assets there that don't have any debt on them. It doesn't mean that you're making a million dollars a year. It means that you're using your money wisely and saving it wisely. And I love this part of your book and your philosophy here, Tony, is that you can choose now, I know somebody's out there going, hey, wait a second. If I could choose to be a millionaire, I would have chosen to be a millionaire. You don't know my situation, <laughs> Tony. How can I just choose to be a millionaire? What do you say?
1: Yeah. So, uh, writing the book, I felt really good about myself because, you know, I was the first millionaire in my family that I'm aware of. And I felt pretty good. I hit a goal by, you know, I set a goal to be a millionaire by age 40 and I hit it. But an interesting happen- thing happened when I wrote my book. And that was I met a guy and talked to him and he became a millionaire by age 30 and he grew up, grew up in a more poverty driven situation than I did. And all of a sudden I didn't feel as special, you know, <laughs> right. and I'm like, wow, my goal wasn't nearly as good as your goal and you did it before me. And so, and this guy grew up in uh, LA in Compton and uh, just a really, you know, poor poverty driven area in that, the time that he grew up. And uh, he just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm gonna be a millionaire. I don't want to live in poverty like my family does. And he started setting towards that goal and he was able to hit it. And then I met another man and he had his, what I call financial awakening or said his goal is made his millionaire choice. And he was even younger. He was five years old. Mm. And he became a millionaire by age 25. And so when you, people say they can't do it, or you just got lucky, I had somebody tell me that one time, you're just in the right place at the right time and you got lucky. And I'm like, no, because if that were true, then it would only happen once in a while. And the reality is there are 10.5 million, 10.5 million millionaire households across the country. Roughly 10% of American households at that number are millionaire households. And so that is a very repeatable process to hit those kinds of numbers. And those people made those choices. And I think 80% of that number is actually uh, first-generation millionaires depending on the, you know, what statistic you look at.
0: I love that. So that means nobody gave them their money. They didn't inherit it. They went out and earned it. And it it can take you different amounts of time. Like you said, um, let's Mm -hmm. say you're you're raising a family. It might take you a little bit longer than if you're single and you're doing something else, but you can do this on an average American salary. You don't have to be somebody who's making $500,000 a year to do this.
1: No, no, it, it obviously helps you do it faster. Yeah, have yeah, a, yeah. Half a million. But yeah, when I set my millionaire plan up, I was a little bit naive. You know, I had I, I was armed with the best information I had at the time. And that didn't include having a wife and six kids.
0: hmm absolutely. You know, I didn't plan
1: on that. I didn't plan on that. So those were a couple of curveballs that came my way. But I was able to adapt and adjust. And the, the, the main thing is to go, you know, to believe that you can do it, to set the goal, and to get on track, making the right choices and the right decisions, the right, right life, and financial decisions, because your life decisions are going to affect where you end up, not just your money decisions, but your life decisions as well.
0: Yeah, we're talking to Tony Bradshaw, author of The Millionaire Choice. Millionaire or not, you can choose here on Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. And you mentioned comparing, and I, I somebody told me this the other day, that when you compare, you start to despair. And so just quit. You should never compare yourself with anybody. There's always going to be somebody better, somebody the worse off than you. But the only person you should compare yourself is you yesterday. And as long as you're doing better than you were yesterday, you should be excited about that comparison and just keep choosing to move forward and do it on your schedule because you're never going to be able to compare to everybody else. There's always somebody better than you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that's one of the things that would lead to my success. And I cover that a little bit in the book, but really the way I look at it is just become better tomorrow than you are today. What are you doing to be better tomorrow than you are today? And if you do that long enough over a long enough consistent period of time, you're going to end up in a much better place. It's when you get stagnant and stuck in the same place for, you know, many, many years that you kind of don't progress. And so that's what you really want to watch out for.
0: Yep. As long as you're moving towards your goal every day, you're going to get there. 10 keys of the millionaire you have in your book. So I am going to pull out just a few of these and have you just go over it a little bit with us. Your first one is develop strong character. Now I know most people are going to go, yeah, that, that sounds great. How do you do that if you're somebody that maybe you were raised in a family that didn't teach you that? Maybe you got off to a bad start. How do you develop strong character?
1: Yeah, so the five dimensions of character that I actually use in the book. So, I mean, there's so many dimensions of character that you can... You know deal with i chose to still stick with a specific five which are integrity responsibility uh work ethic uh self-discipline and focus okay i covered those pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but if you look at uh, if you look at any leadership or anybody that's in leadership or anybody that's successful and you ask them like what made you successful like 80 percent of them are going to tell you integrity was a key element for me and so when you're in a community and you're growing up and this is something your parents teach you you know don't lie you know, lying's bad, lying's wrong, don't lie. And so in its purest form, that's in, that's integrity, which is, and you can carry it out further than that, which is um, when you tell somebody you're going to do something, then follow through and do it. That's integrity because you're, you're telling them something and then you're doing what you're telling them. So you're executing on intentions. So the character piece, I think for me, I was pretty fortunate because my parents really instilled those five. But depending on what community and culture you grow up in, you don't necessarily get those from your family or from your, you know, your surroundings or your environment. And that's one of the cool things. We have a a teacher that in a school that developed and converted my book into high school curriculum. It's kind of in a beta format. And the first thing the teacher told me when she taught it was, you know, Tony, when I covered this character with these children, no one had ever talked to them about character before. And no one had talked to them about integrity before, but you know what? The week after we, we taught the lesson, I saw the children correcting each other on integrity and telling each other, Hey, you're not behaving with integrity right now. Nice. And Got- I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's for me, that's just like really exciting because that's what makes this book different than you know a lot of the other financial books out there that deal just with money, but it's a dealing with core issues that allow you to develop wealth. And so the, the saying in the book actually goes, um, you can't build or keep wealth if you don't have strong character. And I, I really believe that, um, you know, a lot of people, even in their marriage, you know, as well as I do, it's sad, but you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And guess what? If you've built any wealth and you go through a divorce, you just lost half Amen. of what you build up. And and a lot of that has to do with character, sadly, a lot of times, but, um, and yeah, when so you're, I, think, I was just yeah, going to say,
0: and when you have great character and you have that kind of integrity and, and it feeds your relationships, Two people working together can do an awful lot of good compared to two people divided. So I couldn't agree more with that. And The other part I love about this, Tony, is how many times do we see in TV shows and movies and books that the rich guy is a greedy, mean person who treats everybody horribly? And that's not the reality of the 80 percent, you know, the people that you said— our first generation Americans, they didn't get that way by exploiting people. They got that way by having good character.
1: Yeah. I and mean, then that's what you find is it's not the norm. This, the, the, you know, they've got to send the, the videos, the television, the shows, they got to sens- sensationalize everything. And those people do exist. Like, you know, I hate to say it, but sure. uh, was it John D Rockefeller? If you look at his behavior patterns and what he did to build the wealth that he had, he wasn't a really good guy. Um, but there were other good guys out there that were building wealth as well. And we see mm-hmm. that today. We see that today. So um, I really envision you know, good character. I want to help people build wealth with good character because I know they're going to do good things with the money and help people who need it. Amen. And so, but your original question was, "How do you develop it?" I think you got to pursue it. You got to realize it's part of the winning formula, yeah. and and figure out how to do it. So if you don't have a strong work ethic, you're not going to get ahead.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, Tony. Hang on to that thought for a second. Um, we got one more segment with you. I want to finish up this thought, but I also want to get into how to do this saving and investing aggressively that you talk about, because that's where I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. Hang in. I'm here with Tony Bradshaw. My name's Greg Knapp. This is Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. All right, let's do one more quick one, and we will be done. Does that sound good?
1: Oh, yeah, whatever you want to do.
0: Okay, cool. All right, we might not go this whole segment. We'll see. I got 10, 20 on. All right, here we go. Coming down in three, two, one. Hey, my name is Greg Knapp. You're in Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. I'm here with Tony Bradshaw, author of The Millionaire Choice, Million or Not, you can choose you can go to his website millionairechoice.com find out all the great stuff he's got available there in his book and other ways that you can uh, use his team to help you choose to be a millionaire we were finishing up with this you got to go ahead and develop strong character and you talked about a couple ways to start working towards that because otherwise you're just not gonna you know make and keep the money in the right way and then use it to help other people i wanted to jump to key number eight save and invest aggressively. You talked about the idea that if you're saving at 10%, then every seven years, your money will double. Because I can tell you, man, I've even used financial planners and and there's been ups and downs in the markets when I'm like, man, the last 10 years, I've only made 5% or I've even lost money. Uh, When you're somebody like me and you're getting all confused, how do you do this?
1: Yeah, I think you got to become more experienced. So earlier we talked about, where you spend all this time learning about math, English, and science through school, and then all of a sudden you become an investor and you expect to make money in the investment world. It's just not a fact. You have to become, uh, start on a journey and become better at what you do. So I was pretty fortunate at 25 to when I started my stock investing, started on my journey. I invested in what I knew, which was technology stocks. And so uh, for you guys that are remember those days, you had Intel, Dell, uh, was coming on the scene, Intel, Sirix, and AMD. And so I was investing in what I knew and what I followed. And I was making 60 to 90% in the stock market. Whoa. Uh, probably every six to nine months. But I just really wasn't dealing with that much money because I was young and didn't have a lot of money. So it would have been great if I could have been making, you know, $100,000 stock trades. You know, I was making like $500 to $1,000 stock trades. Mm. And so I was able to build that up and, and win and then turn it into more investments. So but you got to go when you get started you need to play it safe and so that's what mutual funds are really for uh, i'm not a registered you know stock advisor or registered financial advisor i just you know have things that i know that i've done and so uh, you just want to look for those opportunities and invest in what you know and then make sure you're putting enough money back a lot of financial advisors are going to tell you to put 15% of your income back in re- retirement i don't like percentages like that because if you're making 50 grand a year and you put 15% back, you don't end up with a lot of money at the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. And so you need to figure out a, how to get your income up. And then as you grow your income, as you mentioned earlier, you know, keep your expenses low so that you don't spend it all and then find ways to get that return, uh, whether it's a, you know, S and P index fund, which a lot of people say that's a good way to go. Um, you know, I always laugh at this one joke because I, I had kind of gotten away from the stock market, and went into mutual funds. So still in the stock market, but safer investments. And my wife in 2003 looked at me and said, uh, hey, I think you should buy Apple stock. And I said, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not trading individual stocks. So we're just going to do mutual funds for now on for a while. And uh, since she told she said that, I think over the next 10 years, Apple returned like a thousand percent. <laughs> and so, um, like the best advi- the best investment advice I ever got was from my wife, and I never I didn't do anything with it. Yep. And uh, yeah, but those opportunities are there, but those are not necessarily they they come with a certain degree of risk. So right. as a new investor, you want to place safe investments first. And I I think of it more as a hierarchy of investing. So take on less risk first as you're starting out, and then as you get more confident and you learn more and you become more educated then you can you know, take more risk and you know start branching out into these uh, other types of stocks that you can invest in, whether it's, you know, Google, you look at their return over the last 15 years, you look at uh, any of these companies, but there's also risk involved with it. Uh, right. I don't know if you know the book, uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great uh, yep. is a fantastic business book, but three or four of the companies he highlighted in there that were at the cream of the crop and had been successful for, you know, 40, 50 years um, are no longer around and it's, and they have these great returns, but you know, circuit city, where is it? It's gone. Right.
0: Well, you know what, Um, what I, what I like Tony that you said, and it's what I had done as well. Um, some of the safe money goes into the S&P 500 index fund that just mirrors the S&P and you hang on to that for 30 years, you're probably going to do fairly well. And then you have another chunk that you're putting into a bond fund. And then you have another chunk that maybe you can be more aggressive with and try something that you know, is a little bit more risky. So those are the kind of things you can look at as you're getting Mm -hmm. yourself more and more educated on this. I also liked, um, you know, you're talking about keeping your expenses low and boosting your income. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And and my thought is every time I get a raise, instead of, you know, spending that money, you're going to say, all right, 50% of that raise is going to go into saving and investment because I'm already living fine on what I have. So why not, Put 50% of that raise in and the rest I can play around with and stay living in the same house I am. I'm in a pretty nice house. I got a pretty nice car. I don't need to run out and do these things just because I got a raise.
1: Yeah, I love that philosophy. It's really just doing uh, thinking about the future instead of the current time that you're in in the moment that you're in and understand that time value of money. And uh, a lot of people have this, like, I'm going to retire at 65 mindset. And for young people, that's way out there and they don't do enough with their money early Mm -hmm. for older people. It's scary because it's so close. Um, The reality is I would love for people to push that retirement age back at least to 59 and a half, because that's when you can start drawing on your retirement funds without taking a tax hit. And so, um, you know, not to be morbid or anything, but I've known way too many people that died at like age 65 to 67 and if they waited until their retirement age, they wouldn't have gotten to enjoy retirement at all. Right. And so moving that that date up to that fifty nine and a half and going, what does retirement look for like for me if I do it at fifty nine and a half versus sixty five or sixty seven? And I think you do that by what you said, taking what you if you get a raise, taking that money and not spending it all, but investing it so that it kind of keeps moving that date up for you.
0: Gotcha. And number nine is booster income. So people say, well, what am I supposed to do, Tony? I've got a job. This is all I can do. How do I boost my income?
1: Yeah, so uh, Robert Kiyosaki's got a great model out right now. Pick up his book. But He talks about those kind of structures where you can make more money. Obviously, for me, what I did is I focused on my job job. where I worked and improving my value to the company. Mm. So I learned how to do new things. I taught myself how to program. I left the engineering world and went into the technology world, which is much more lucrative. And then I became, brought business value and marketing value into the company that I was in and was able to grow my income that way. The thing about that is you're still trading hours for dollars. And so you only can make so much per hour under that model. So you're always limited by the number of hours that you have. And so you have to decide, am I going to uh, keep doing that my entire life, trading hours for dollars, or am I going to find a way to create you know, passive income on top of what I'm already making? And what what angle am I going to take with that? I met a lot of people while I was writing this book. I know people are down on multi-level marketing and uh, direct sales, but I met so many people while I was writing this book that were just killing it with multi-level marketing and direct sales. And the reason I decided to really include this is because I met a 26-year-old young lady whose mom had been in multi-level marketing for probably 20 years and was, she was making half a million dollars a year. Her mother was. Nice. And then she decided to follow her mother's step after she went to college. She actually didn't want anything to do with her mother's type of work, but then she realized, Hey, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to get hours, dollar trade dollars for hours. I get so much, so many days of vacation a year. That's not the lifestyle I want. And so in her first year in direct sales and multi level she made 60 grand and then replaced her salary. The next year she made 80 grand. And so she's a 26, 27 year old person. And I'm going, you know what, if a 26 year old young lady graduating from college can do this, anybody can make it successful. And so that to me is an option. And I've met lots of other people that found success with it. And there's a lot of people that don't have success with it. But I think it really just become determined by their choice or their ability to you know, work through those And then uh, the passive income thing, you know, real estate. You know, Robert Kiyosaki with Rich Dad Poor Dad is a great example of people who develop a passive income through that. But there's lots of opportunities. The main thing I would say is don't get stuck with what I call income lock. You know, for me, I was making 39 grand, and I and that was really good because I was making more money than my mom and dad were making. But that was as far as I could see. I didn't realize that I had six figure potential inside of me because of how I grew up. It wasn't until many years later that I actually broke through, you know, the, the six figure salary and went, wow, you know, I just had a breakthrough and I didn't even realize like in my family line, that this was even possible, but the reality is it is possible. Anybody. Yeah. can do
0: it. Tony, I think that's key. And I think it goes to developing the strong characters, developing that mindset that says I am worth more than this and I am going to earn more than this. And I don't have to live the way that my generations of families have have lived. And and that's a breakthrough, like you said, because if you don't believe you can do it, it's going to be pretty doggone hard. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for being with us. The book is called The Millionaire Choice. Millionaire or not, you can choose. You can go to themillionairechoice.com for more information and also to find out more about these, uh, these 10 keys. Hey, thanks for being with me today. If you want to get more out of the podcast, anywhere podcasts are available, find your purpose, live your passion. Don't forget to go to my website, Gregory Everything's in the show notes, find your purpose, live your passion.